Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Uh, now, I did spend all, basically all last year, about 35 weeks in Philippians on Wednesday night, and this is not just one of those lessons. Uh, there's so much in this book that I wasn't able to cover all, even though I spent 35 weeks in it. Uh, I think in the specific passages that we're going to be in today, verses 1 through 14, I think I spent about five weeks in uh, specifically, and encourage you to go back if you can. I think they're on Facebook. We're going to try to get them on YouTube and, and even on our website at, at a later point, but encourage you to go back and listen to some of those messages. I think they'd be a great help and encouragement to you. Um, but this series that we're doing is, is uh, really kind of goes with our theme for this year. It says, Thrive, Understanding We Were Made for More. And this series is all about our identity in Christ. And this series on Sunday mornings, as well as the series on Wednesday night, on Ephesians that we just started a couple weeks ago, uh, really ties in perfectly together. I really want to encourage you to be back on Wednesday night if you can, because uh, we have a false sense of identity in the world with Christians. And there's a lot of Christians that really don't know who they are. Uh, but the premise of this series and the premise of Ephesians is to understand who we are in Christ, not in the culture, not in the world, but who we are in Christ. And there's a discrepancy in those two things uh, today in our churches. There's a lot of people that, that have Christ. That means they are saved. Uh, they are born again. They are children of God. They're under the blood. Uh, but at the same time, they're living for the world. And those two things should not uh, mesh. But a lot of times we think that we have to be the world. We have to be part of the world. Because if we give up everything, as we've even talked about the past couple of weeks, we're going to give up everything that we hold dear. And we're going to lose a lot more than we'll ever gain. But the truth is, in Christ, we gain more than we'll ever lose. And this message today is really kind of a continuation of that thought from the past two weeks. When Jesus was talking right before he went uh, to to Calvary right before he, he bled and died for us on the cross and rose again. But everything that we're studying right now is trying to get to the core of who we are, of what drives our behavior. This series is not necessarily on, on behavior. This isn't about how bad you all are. That's for the next series. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's about showing how great the Christian life truly is when we're centered in Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, in order to thrive and flourish and be who God wants us to be, we must focus on what God words, God's Word says. And I fear a lot of Christians don't focus on all of God's Word. They focus on the parts that they want to focus on. And I'm just as guilty of this as the next person. But the Christian life is not about your achievements. It's not about your accolades. It's not about everything that you've gained here. There's nothing wrong with achievements. There's nothing wrong with gaining certain things. You know, I have a lot of achievements that I've gained in my life. I have a lot of um, uh, ribbons and awards and medals, and, and those things are all fine, and, and Danny, they're, they're nice, but that doesn't give me significance in my life. I once thought that gave me significance, but I quickly, or not quickly, but Lord had to do some things in my life to help me realize that those things don't mean anything. You know, I, I love basketball, I love sports, I love golf, I love other things as well, and I had the opportunity to play college basketball uh, when I went to Crown College and just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And really, for me, basketball was my identity. It was everything. And part of the reason that I chose Crown College was because they had an actual collegiate basketball team which played other schools. It wasn't just playing intramural, but they played other schools. And they were part of the NCCA Division II, uh, which is National Christian Collegiate Athletic Association. Uh, and, and I was excited about that opportunity. I went there because I, I do feel like that was where God wanted me to be. And even before I made the basketball team, Lord kind of confirmed that with within the first couple of weeks. But really, for me, my identity was basketball. It really fully wasn't in Jesus Christ. And, 
And sometimes Christians do the same thing. Their identity is in sports. Their identity is in their job. Their identity is in their family. Their identity is in all these things. But what happens when that structure falls and crumbles? And for me, it was around my, my junior year. I uh, had, had a lot of health issues. I had I'd suffered probably four or five concussions uh, because of basketball and some other things in my life. And, and it really affected me. It really affected my thinking. It affected um, my outlook on life. It affected uh, my personality at times. It affected, which it still does, uh, affected, um, uh, affected my health, affected, affected my energy. There were times where I'd be playing games in, in the game, and I felt like I was literally in slow motion. Like I couldn't move. My body was saying I'm going full speed, but I'm just like literally felt lethargic. So I didn't know what was going on. And then uh, not by my uh, choice, but had to sit out my senior year. My parents kind of forced that upon me. Uh, and I'm thankful looking back. I wasn't thankful at the time. We had a lot of fights concerning that uh, because it's my senior year. And that's what I've, I've been living my life for up until that time. But it, I think it was really during that year that the Lord kind of broke me of some things and, and helped me realize that Chris, your focus is in the wrong place. You're here at Bible college and trying to get a degree and trying to get an education and trying to get a bachelor's in youth ministries because you feel like that's what the Lord wants you to do. But everything else was just tied to basketball, tied to sports. And that was my identity. When that crumbled, it's like I didn't know who I was. And again, this series is really about discovering that even when things crumble and fall around us, it shouldn't cause us to just completely waste away and ruin if our foundation is in Jesus Christ. And I talked a little bit about that on Wednesday, that if our foundation is not anchored on Jesus Christ, who is the solid rock on which we stand, if it's not anchored in Jesus Christ, if it's anchored in the world, if it's anchored in other things, when that foundation falls and crumbles and collapses, and it will, then we're going to lose ourselves. We're going to lose who we think we are. You know, growing in grace is about losing what you've attached your heart to that makes the version of yourself that is not Christ-centered. You see, your identity in Christ is what transforms you. And in Philippians chapter 3, what we see this morning is a man by the name of Apostle Paul, who in the first part, in the first verses 4 through 6 specifically, is kind of listing off his achievements in life. Everything that he had gained, and really, when you look at Paul's life before Christ, he was a men among men. I mean, he had a, a great education, a great degree, a great pedigree. Uh, he was born in the right family. Everything was going for him, except for one thing. He wasn't in Christ. He wasn't saved. He wasn't a child of God. So what he was tying his identity to was something that was surely going to fall. And again, the past two weeks, we've been talking about this specifically. But today, we're going to look at the who that sets you free from the bondage and burden of living a life for achievement and worthless accolades. So often in our lives, what we're trying to do is project an image of ourselves that we want others to see. And I love social media, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but social media sometimes, what's wrong with it is that we're projecting an image of ourselves that's not reality, right? <laughs> that's false, that's fake. And I've done that. I've been there. You know, I've kind of shared this. I, I read something from another pastor here recently, and he was kind of talking about himself. You know, you know we, we take 100 pictures and we post the best one. <laughs> we don't post the worst ones. We post the best ones because this is what we want others to see. And, and as a pastor, he was saying, you know what, even I, I talk about the good days. Like today, it's, it's a good day. We have a, a full house. You know, we'll take pictures of that. 
But then we won't talk about the bad days when we're struggling and, and we feel a little depressed or discouraged or when people aren't here or of sickness and stuff like that. So what we're doing is we're always projecting an image of ourselves that we want others to see. But in Philippians 3, we see a man who was set free from an artificial or fake version of himself. He was set free to be the person that God wanted him to be. Philippians 3, if you find your place, let's go ahead and stand, if you would, this morning. The Bible says in verse number 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are of the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man other thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. What he's saying is, out of anyone in this world, I have reason to have confidence in my flesh, and here's why. And I'll describe and explain this in a few minutes. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. All of these things that he listed, some were uh, because of his upbringing, because of who he was, because of who he was born into, and some were self-effort achievements. But verse number seven, but what things were gained to me, the things that I counted dear, those I counted lost for Christ the day that he got saved on that road to Damascus, some 20 or 30 years prior to this. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that may I apprehend, that for which I also apprehended for Jesus or for Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And God, I, I thank you for this message. And God, I pray that you'd help me as I deliver it this morning. I pray that uh, we'd have people that are uh, receptive of your word and open to hearing the truths from your word, not just an opinion. And God, if there is an opinion that's being preached today, Lord, I pray that you'd squash that and help me just to preach and focus on, on you and what you would have me to preach and focus on, Lord. And I pray that you'd help our church understand that our identity should not be tied into everything else. Our identity should be tied into you, to Jesus Christ. If we're truly saved, if we're truly children of God, and, and Lord, I know many in this room are saved, and I know there are some that probably aren't saved today. And they're chasing an identity that's going to fail, that's going to fall, that, that is always going to be moving. But Lord, help us to tie our identity to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you. We thank you again. Christ, in I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We don't have our study guides this morning. We had some issues uh, printing them out. Uh, but I want you to follow along. I think there are some notes that they'll, they'll pop up there on the screen. But there's four or five things I want to list today of really... When you study this passage, you're looking at Paul in contrast to the person he was before Christ to the person he is after Christ. And really, there should be a difference, right? Once we get saved, we should not be the same person anymore. 
We should be different. And Paul is a great testimony to that fact. That once he got saved, God changed his life. He changed his identity. His identity was no longer in all of his accolades, all of his achievements. His identity was in Jesus Christ, and that was enough. Even when he was shipwrecked and beaten, even when he was in prison multiple times, he was still confident in Christ because his identity rested in him. The first thing I want us to look at is this, in this projecting this fake self, this fake identity, this fake version of ourself, is this. Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 3, the who I pretend to be. The who I pretend to be. Verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me is not grievous, but to you is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to warn the Philippian believers, and really us today that are Christians, warn those that have a false doctrine, a false sense of belief. Beware of those that are trying to draw you astray, that are trying to pervert the truth of the gospel. For we are the circumcision kind of a contradictory to the concision, almost a play on words there, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And what Paul is doing in these verses is he's addressing the pressures around the Philippians because there was a great pressure like there is today to fit into the culture. You ever feel pressure to fit into the culture? I feel pressured every day of my life. To fit into the culture and be different. And sometimes we have this view that if we're different, people aren't going to like us. And we're not going to be able to do anything in business. We're not going to be able to do anything in life. Because we're going to stand so apart that no one's going to, no one's going to like us. And, and we're not going to be able to achieve anything. But really, who cares what we achieve in this world? It's all going to burn up one day anyway. But everything we gain in Christ is far more important and far more valuable. There are those that I've learned that oppose the truth. You ever met people like that? That oppose the truth? I've met people that oppose the church. This week, last week, previous week, I've met people that oppose God, oppose the truth, oppose the church. I've met people that are, their best interest is not for others. It's not for the church. It's not for the cause of Christ. Their best interest is for themselves. And sadly, I've met Christians that their best interest is for themselves. It's not for anyone else. It's not for advancing his kingdom. It's not for doing what God wants them to do. It's for doing what they want to do. And what Paul desires in these first few verses, and really this passage in general, he desires believers to not be fake. You know, we have a problem with fake news in our world today, do we not? Yeah, don't you love fake news? It's, it's great. Our president loves fake news. He loves it. I, I can't stand it. You guys can't stand it. But the, the problem with fake news is they, they sprinkle in the truth of something that's false. Sometimes they sprinkle a lot of the truth in. But then they pepper in just a little bit of something that's false, a little lie. And they twist it just enough to where we don't know what is right and wrong. And the problem is Christians today, true too, they don't know what is right and wrong. You know why? Because they haven't truly studied God's word to see what the truth is. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the truth. He is the truth. He is the way. He's the life. He is everything that we need. But we, we are tied to what culture says, what the world says. And you know what? I, I, I think I should believe that. I think I should believe that that's who I should become when God's word says something completely different. But, oh, God's word is archaic. It's not for us today. I mean, it, we, we just, it, it's outdated. Actually, it's not. 
When Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, the same struggles that the Philippians had, the same struggles that the Corinthians had, that the church at Ephesus had and others had, are the same struggles we have today. Tying our identity to the world as a Christian instead of tying our identity to Christ. Nothing changed in 2,000 years. We've gotten worse in that, but we're still the same self-centered, self-righteous people that Paul was addressing back then. You know, there is a problem with fake news in our society today, but the bigger problem, I believe, is in our churches with fake Christianity. With fake Christians. Instead of being in Christ and allowing Christ to define us and stake our identity in Him, we try to stake our identity in everything else because we're drawn in by the lies that are peppered with the truth. Fake Christianity is projecting a view that's self-centered instead of Christ-centered. In verse number three, Paul is really kind of addressing what a true believer, an authentic biblical Christian looks like. For we are of the circumcision. We're not like these people. And I don't have time to go into depth about this. And if you want to look back, and I think it was probably back in September or August of last year when we, when we hit on this. But he says, for we are of the circumcision, which what? Worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in in the flesh. You know what a true believer looks like? Someone that has a heart geared towards worship. Someone that has a heart geared towards praising God. And we, we say those two words together sometimes in our churches and we get freaked out. Praise and worship. Oh no, here we go again. Well, the Bible is all about praise and worship. Yeah. When done the right way. That's right. Some people are going to get to heaven and be like totally over, like blown away like because there's going to be a lot of praise and worship of our yeah. Savior in heaven. Yeah. So why shouldn't we do it on earth? Now, I do agree that some churches and some denominations and some people get carried away with that. Amen. It's very self-centered, very self-righteous, very much all about themselves. And what we're trying to do here is develop an attitude of praising our Savior, of worshiping Him, of falling down on our face in a sense to, to God and saying, God, it's not about me, it's all about you, and I, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here for you and not for me. One of my favorite writers on the subject of worship is A.W. Tozer. He had this to say. He said, Worship is to feel in the heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe. Worship will humble a person as nothing else can because there must be humility in the heart before they can worship. And one of the reasons that we started our upper in prayer time is to try to humble ourselves, to be ready to prepare ourselves for worship. To prepare ourselves to worship our Heavenly Father, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But in these first few verses, Paul is talking about the who that I pretend to be. And if we're honest in here, every single one of us has a fake version of ourselves that we're trying to project to the world. And really what Paul is trying to get across here is this. In Christ, we can be free from the pretense or obligation of performing. You see, this is about finding freedom from the pressures around me and the fears within me. As Christians, so often we are so fearful, so fearful of what others think of us that we're afraid to do anything for, for the cause of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Bible says specifically and clearly, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You see, there is a pressure to be a fake version of yourself. There is a pressure to be a fake you, a pressure to be who the world wants you to be instead of who Christ wants you to be. Second thing we see in verses 4 through 6 
We see the who I think I should be. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Again, Paul says in verse 3, we shouldn't have confidence in the flesh. And it's almost contradictory. But what he's doing here is he's saying that as a non-believer, as someone that's really part of cultural Christianity, you're, you're saying that I tie my confidence not in Jesus Christ. I tie my confidence in my flesh. I tie my confidence in what I've achieved, in what I've gained. And he said, out of anyone, I, I have as much to say as, as, as anyone. Because he says here, verse number 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, concerning my passion, I have passion, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. You know, in Paul's case, the things he was living for before Christ seemed very commendable. But none of these things brought satisfaction or acceptance before God. And there's a religion today that is sweeping our nation. It's a religion that's infiltrating our churches. It's a religion of works. It's a religion of doing good. It's a religion of being good, of making oneself acceptable to God, of securing God's favor, of making oneself approved by God. This is a religion of self-righteousness and self-centeredness. Self-righteousness is this, convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. Being narrow-mindedly moralistic. It's the belief that you are totally correct and morally superior to other people. And sadly, that happens in our churches too. And we look around, and sometimes we look around in the room and, I am so much better than that person. I know you guys don't do that, but I've done that at times. Sadly, I have. Because that self-righteous attitude, that self-centered attitude creeps into my heart too. And I have to fight it every day. Paul says, I have reason to be confident. I have reason to be self-righteous because look at my resume. Everything you can list, it's pretty awesome. You know, uh, he, he lists these past accomplishments and he's talking about privileges that he had at his birth as well as self-effort achievements. Paul had it going on. In a sense, he was morally superior to other people. And let's apply this today to where we are. We're in Decatur, Texas. It's like someone say, saying, well, I'm from Decatur. I'm from this family. I'm a Texan, so I'm better than you. And I know that's, I know, I'm about to be stoned for saying that. I love Texas. I do. Wasn't born here. We're transplant Texans, as I said often. We're, I'm a quarter Texan because our youngest son was born here, so I'm a quarter Texan. I love it, but in, in applying it to how we are and where we are today, it's in a sense, it's saying, you know what, this is who I am. I am better than you because I'm from Decatur, Texas. I'm of this family. My, my, my family has all of this stuff, and, and we know these people, and, and I'm from Texas, so I am morally and righteously superior than anyone else. You know, every state is prideful in who they are and where they live, and, and that, 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 that's okay. I mean, you should be proud to, to be where, you, where you're from, but just because you're Texan doesn't mean you're morally superior to someone that's from Indiana. I don't know if this is bulletproof, but it needs to be. 
or morally superior. Well, I was about to say Oklahoma, but uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. Isn't it easy to have that attitude? I'm better than you because of who I am. Look at me. Look at where I'm from. Look at my family. Look at all the stuff that I've done. I've got a law degree. I've got an I've got a, a education. I've, I've got this. I've got that. You know, I, I had a 4.0 in school. I had a 5.0. Even though it was a four-point standard, I had all of this stuff. Everything that I am. Look at me. Look at look at all these trophies on my on my mantle on my shelf. Look at what I've accomplished. Who cares? It's meaningless. You see, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter what you know or how passionate you are or how obedient you are to the rules and regulation. Paul talks about concerning zeal. I had zeal. I had passion because I persecuted the church. They were against what I believed. I was passionate in what I believed. And you can be passionate in what you believe in too. But if it's not believing in Jesus Christ and his word, then who cares? That's right. You see, what matters is whose you are. Not who you are or what you are or where you've been, where you're from. What matters is, are you in Christ? That's right. That's good. Have you ever failed to live up to your own expectations, anyone? I have. Yeah. <laughs> I set some pretty high expectations and standards for myself. And sometimes I unwittingly, unknowingly try to put that on other people. And I don't mean to. I don't intend to. Sometimes it happens to my family. And I tried to explain myself a couple weeks ago. Sometimes I'm hard to read, and sometimes that's on purpose, sometimes it's not. But, you know, I have very high standards and convictions for myself based on what I believe God's Word says. But I really try my hardest not to project that I am better than you, I'm more superior than you. And I try not to project that you need to be me, because you don't. I believe what I believe based on what God's Word has told me, or what God's Word has taught me, what I believe that God wants me to do in my personal life. There are some things in all of our lives that need to be similar because God's word is, is clear. It's concise. But you need to be who God wants you to be. Right. Not who he wants me to be. And some pastors are bad about this, so they're projecting themselves on you. And if you're not me, if you're not like me, then you're wrong and you're going to hell. Where do you get that? Self-righteous, self-centered. But so often we fail to live up to our own expectations. I, I fail to live up to my own expectations. Sometimes I've disappointed myself and I fail to even forgive myself. You ever been there? Fail to forgive me? No. <laughs> fail to forgive yourself for something because you had these expectations for yourself and you didn't achieve them, so, and I'm a failure. It doesn't matter what culture or society says you need. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. None of those things mean anything to God. When we stand before the judgment, he's not going to be like, oh, you're from Decatur, Texas. Come on in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you're in me. You're, you're saved. You're accepted. You see, in Christ, we have an identity. We have an identity that cannot be broken, will not fail us, will not crumble. Because, as I said on Wednesday night, Jesus is not your genie. He's your foundation. And if your foundation is not anchored and secured, then whatever you're standing on will fall, will fail you, will crumble. If you're standing on your career, your love life, your looks, your weight, your abilities, whatever you have going on for you, when it breaks and it will, you'll fail and you'll fall. But if you're standing on Christ and when those things fall, you'll continue to stand because you're anchored in him. 
And this is what Paul is saying in verses 4 through 6. And as we continue on, I'm not anchored in those things. That's the past version of myself. You see, in the past, 30 some years ago, this is what drove Paul to be the best him that he could be. <coughs> you see, it wasn't about his achievements. It wasn't about his intellect. It wasn't about his amazing golf skills. I don't know if he had golf skills, but it wasn't about that. It was about who he was in Christ. There's a who that I think I should be. But what Paul is doing here is he's helping us with something. This is about finding freedom from the expectation within me. Because all of us have an expectation of ourselves. And most often we fail to live up to that expectation. But God's expectation is to be in him. To be who I have called you to be. We continue on. Verses 7 through 9. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. The next two we see is the who that others expect me to be. Don't you love it when others project an image of yourself that they think you should live by? I love that. I love it when people want me to be someone else other than myself. Now, if, it's, if they're trying to help you in God's word, okay, that's a little bit different. But I've seen this in, in my seven years prior as a youth pastor that Sometimes parents try to project an image on their kids that they want for their kids, not what their kids want. Because maybe they're trying to relive their, their failed sports you know, through them. I want my child to be the best because I wasn't very good or I had an injury or I wasn't able to do this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it through them and maybe, they're, maybe the kid didn't want to do that. But what Paul says in verse 7, what things were gained to me, the word in the Greek for gain is, is an accounting term, which means profit. But what things were gained to me, those I what? Counted loss. The key word in these verses is the word count. In the Greek, there are two different words used here. It's the words to evaluate or to assess. So what he's saying here is I'm evaluating my life. The things that I thought were important, I'm evaluating to see if they were truly important when it comes to Jesus Christ. Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. We should examine our lives. Not based on the world and what the world says, but based on what Christ says, his word says. And this is a great statement that Socrates made, but how many of us sit down and weigh seriously the values that control our decisions and directions? Are we more concerned with our own life or the life that Jesus came to give us? You see, this is what we've been talking about for over a month now. Christians don't know who they are. And I promise you, you will never experience a thriving, flourishing, abundant Christian life until you learn who you are in Christ. So many people are chasing everything, anything and everything, except for God. Because if I give up everything for God, I'm going to lose it all. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. You're listening to that fake news, that fake culture. But I have to be this person. No, you don't. Jesus isn't there. This is good. I wish you had your notes, but you don't, but it's okay. Jesus isn't there to give your life enhancement. Jesus is there to give you life. He's there to show you what a thriving, flourishing life looks like in him. He alone is the way that life works. And here's the truth. You can't take my Jesus home with you. Here's what I mean. The relationship that I have with him, you can't take it. Because it's not your relationship. 
You have to have your own relationship with Him. That's the only thing that's going to sustain you. A relationship with Jesus Christ is not automatic just because you walk inside the doors of a church building. I have a relationship with God because I'm in church. I'm sitting down and I'm hearing a message from God's Word, so I have a relationship with Him. Look, buildings don't change you. Songs don't change your life. They can change your mood. But usually it lasts as long as it takes to walk back to your car. You see, we must realize that Jesus is more than church. People typically mean well, but they don't always have your best interest at heart. Sometimes people have their best interest at heart. And as I said earlier, everyone has an agenda for your life. Don't you love that? Your work wants more out of you. Your spouse wants you to be more loving. Your teachers want you to do more studying. Restaurants want you to eat more. Your health club wants you to be more fit, pay more money to them. Everyone in your life has an agenda for you. And if you're a pastor, you have 170 people have an agenda for you. Or however big your church is. I'm somewhat kidding with that. But everyone has an agenda for your life. Everyone has expectations for you that they think you should achieve. Again, if they're directing you to God's word and trying to help you, that's different. But most often they're not. They're trying to project something that this is who I want. I've even had people as a pastor, pastor, this is what I want you to preach. Okay, that's fine. You can give me some suggestions, but I'm going to preach what God says, not what you say. I'm sorry if I don't listen to you. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm going to listen to him who is in control of this church, who's, who's purchased the church with his blood. I'm not going to listen to some man. Not that I try not to get counsel. I do. But I'm more concerned with what God speaks to me about than what some men or man or woman or whoever tells me I need to do. You see, everything that culture says you need, I'm here to tell you, you don't. Paul gave up 30 years ago the life that he had. That's when he counted the loss. But as it continues, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb, but trash, but rubbish, but filth, waste, that I may win Christ. Everything that I achieved in this life, it's worthless. It's dung. It's rubbish. It's trash in relationship to Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul gained in Christ was far more than he ever lost in this world. And this point right here is who that others expect me to be. This is about finding freedom from the expectations of others around me. Don't live your lives for someone else's expectations. Live your life for Christ. I want to continue on. Skip down to verse number 13. We're going to come back to the other verses here in just a minute. But the next thing we see is this. The who my past makes me. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before. Verse number 12, he says, Not as though I was already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it, that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You know, anybody have a past in here that you're kind of ashamed of? We have a mic. Anybody want to share? No. Not a lot of us don't. A lot of us have those skeletons in the closet that we hope no one ever knows and finds out about. Maybe even our spouse. But 
The truth is God knows. He knows about your past. And Paul's past was just as bad as anyone else. He was very instrumental in the death of many Christians. How can you live with yourself? When you're instrumental in killing people, stoning people, because he thought that's what needed to happen because they opposed his God, the God that he thought was, was true, was accurate. How do you live with yourself? How do you, how do you move beyond it? You see, Paul was satisfied with his Savior. He was satisfied with his salvation, but he wasn't satisfied with himself. He had been saved to live for Christ and to serve Christ, and as long as he was on this earth, he was going to live for Christ and do all he could for serving Christ. So here's what he did, and this is important. He determined to move beyond his past failures. Every single person in this room has some past failures. Maybe even there's something that happened today that you're ashamed of. Something you did, something you took out on a family member or a spouse or a loved one or a child. Maybe some things that you've struggled with in the past. You're, every single one of us has some things that, that we're ashamed of. But there's nothing you can do about the past. But you can change your reaction to it. Many people today are ineffective in the present because they're either gloating in past accomplishments or wallowing in past failures. Hey, look at who I was. Look at all my trophies. And, and you, you, you see these people sometimes that are like reliving their childhood every day of their lives. Who cares? It was like 30 years ago. You're an old man. You can't do anything today. <laughs> you can't even walk. But we all know people like that. But we also know people that are wallowing in past failures. Woe is me. I'm so horrible. Can't do anything right because I've always failed and this happened in the past. I'm sure it's going to happen in the present. With an attitude like that, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. But the devil is the master bringing up the past, is he not? He gets many to focus on the past to deter them from being active in the present. You see, Paul had to work hard at forgetting his past. And Paul tells us how to deal with the past by concentrating and controlling our minds. I was actually going to preach on the mind this morning, but I felt the Lord direct me in another, another way. But in Romans chapter 12, he's talking to the Romans, the Christians there in Rome. And what's he say in verse 2? We have to transform our minds. We have to be renewed or, or transform our minds. Or, I'm totally messing up that verse. What's it say? Um, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds must be renewed on a continual, constant basis because we all struggle with our minds. We all struggle with what we think about. You ever, um, you ever thought about something that was something you probably shouldn't be thinking about at a time when you're like, where did that come? Oh, yeah. Maybe it's even happened to you in church. Something, something pops up. Well, why did that pop up? It's because you had put it in your mind in the first place, right? But have you ever thought about something that you never saw, that you never looked at? No, because you never saw it. You never looked at it. So it's not in your mind. So how do we get beyond that? Notice what Paul says here. But this one thing I do. 
You see, Paul had been able to come to a point where he could let go of the past failures, unreached goals, false guilt, past sin that he'd already been forgiven of. When you come to Christ, you're forgiven of your past. It's in the past. It doesn't matter. It's, it's removed as far as the east is from the west, casting the deepest of sea. But we have to live in the past. We have to dwell on our past. And Satan gets in and he tries to defeat us and he discourages us and he quits or he gets us to, to quit living the Christian life. He gets us to, to not be a thriving, flourishing Christian individual because we're so focused on our past. If you're in Christ, who cares? Well, it's easy for you to say, no, it's not. It's not easy for Paul to say. But he said, this is the thing I have to do. I have to move beyond it. I have to focus on Christ every day. As he says in other books and other epistles, I have to die daily of myself. I have to focus on Jesus Christ every day and on his word every day. I have to renew my mind every day consistently because I am going to dwell on the past. I am going to concentrate on who I am, on who I was. You can't change the past, but you can let go and live for God now. Don't ruin your future by living in the past. Michael Jordan once said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I've been entrusted to take a game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's precisely why I succeed. Because he didn't focus on those. He focused on what was in front of him. Paul continues reaching forth to those things which are before. <coughs> Excuse me. You can't reach forward to what's in front of you if you can't get beyond what's behind you. Yeah. you know, if you're driving a car and you're always looking backwards, you're probably going to be certain turning like this. It's not going to be a good thing. Please don't do that. Please don't try it. Unless you're in an open field. You know, but th- this, this past failure, this the who that my past makes me. Man, this, this is a huge one. I wish I had a lot more time to focus on this. But all of us have a past, and there are many in here who have let your past define you. Well, this is who I am because this is what my past says. If you're in Christ, it's in the past. Let me just give a couple examples this morning. Maybe you let past abuse define you. Maybe you identify yourself from your past abuse. Well, I'm a child of an abusive father or mother. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a narcissist. I'm a former addict. You know, addiction runs deep. I've realized that. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol. Maybe it's sex or pleasures. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's shopping or a hobby or pride. But we define ourselves this way. But I'm here to tell you that's not how God defines you. But that identity has been imposed upon you. This is who I am. This is who I'll always be. If you're in Christ, you don't have to be that person anymore. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, which means they're in the past. All things are become new. You see, the gospel and God's grace are who you are in Christ, and it blows the chains away. You're no longer defined by your past abuse, your past sins, your past failures, your past regrets, even successes. If you're a Christian, what should define you is who you are in Christ. You know, Paul talked about 
at times how he viewed himself. 1 Timothy 1, it says he was the chief of sinners. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. But one thing I noticed about the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of letters, almost half the, the New Testament. One thing I see about Paul is he didn't focus on his past self, did he? And he brought it up from time to time to, to help the church that he was writing to. But he didn't constantly dwell on the past because he realized that was the past. And if he constantly dwelled on it, he wasn't going to be moving forward and doing what God wanted him to do. He didn't focus on what he did. He didn't focus on who he killed. Who did he focus on? On Christ. Maybe we let past abuse define us. Maybe it's past failures. This is where life broke on you or you did something to break life. You know, many people spend their time thinking about something that's broken in their lives. Maybe it's a failed family, a failed relationship, a failed marriage, a failed career. For some people, it's never really healed. Every time you talk about it, it's like ripping a scab off. Maybe it's someone that's passed away and you've been able to have a hard time getting over that and getting beyond it. And I'm not saying it's, it's going to be easy. Trust me, I'm not saying that at all. But we all know people like that. When you start talking about something in the past, it's like ripping the scab and it just, here it goes again. You know what? They've never really been able to get beyond the past, have they? And focus on their present and their future. And I know this is, this is tough, but this is what Paul is trying to address here. You see, the world's definition of success can be as much of a prison as it is a blessing because there's never satisfaction. There's always a need for more. You're always going to be fulfilled even after you get everything. You look at all these athletes once they win a championship. What are they doing next? I've got to chase the next one. And apart from Christ, we're always going to be chasing a different identity. You think of these athletes that are now retired. Well, I don't know who I am now. Well, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter. You're in Christ. That's who you are. And if you're a child of God today, you've been set free from your past, from your past failures, from your past abuse. You see, everything you try to do to fulfill yourself at the end of the day is very self-centered. And Paul was saying in Philippians 3 that even his successes were failures. Everything you believe about yourself plays out in your life, in your career, in your family, in your job, and in what you do. But a flourishing and thriving you is a free you. It's a you that isn't hounded by your past abuse, past failures, past sin, past regrets, even past successes. The gospel of Christ breaks you free from who your past imposes upon you. So many people will never experience a thriving, flourishing Christian life because they're unwilling to get over their past or they can't get over their past. Or maybe they don't want to let go of it because of fear. And I've heard even people say things like this, and really it's foolish because I've done there. I've been there, I've done that. Well, if I can't hold on to someone else's mistake over their head, then what do I have? I mean, I have to hold on to this because they need to know every time they do something wrong. I have to let them know about that. We laugh, but we're guilty. I'm guilty. Sometimes if my family, my kids do something wrong, I have to bring up the past. Well, we have to. Why? 
If you've been forgiven, it's in the past. But you see where our minds are at? Our minds aren't in Christ because Christ has removed the past. He's, he's cast it away, but we hold on to it. I have to hold on to it. This is what defines me. I have to have something to hold over your head when you do something wrong to me again, and you will. Why? You'll never be free. You'll never be the you that Christ wants you to be. People think things like, why? Well, I need to hang on to this to remember this because it's what's going to make me stronger. It's what's going to give me that extra drive that I need. That's foolish. And I say that from experience because I've done that many times. I need this extra drive. It's going to help push my workout. Because I'm so mad at this person and just, man, I had a great workout today because I'm holding on to the past. Well, you're never going to be set free. There's always going to be something that's, that's tying you down. You're never going to be free from that bondage. And here's the reality. Here's the truth. Holding on to your past doesn't control you. Or doesn't, doesn't make you free. It actually controls you. Because you're constantly thinking on it. You're constantly dwelling on it. Just look back to verse number nine. You see, Paul talked about all this past. Talked about the who that we think we should be, the, the who that our past makes us, the who that others expect us to be. I want you to notice verse nine. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, I preached a whole message just on this one verse back in September. What does Paul say? The next six words, I think it is. Five words. That I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget the past. I forget those things which are behind me because they're behind me, and I'm never going to go forward in my life. I'm never going to thrive. I'm never going to flourish. I'm never going to bow into my Christian life if I hold on to the past. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on Christ. He says that I may know him. Our objective is simple today, and our objective is this, to know him. Your objective as a Christian is to know Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that the past few weeks. Last week we talked about our, we exist to glorify him, yes, but we also exist to know him. Do you truly know him? When Paul says that I may know him, he's not speaking of knowing whether or not he's saved. He's already settled that. He's speaking of knowing the one that saved him. This is more than facts and figures about Jesus. All of us know facts and figures about Jesus. Grew up in church, grew up in Sunday school, heard what the preacher said, but do you know him? I know facts and figures about almost everyone in this room. Doesn't mean I know you. I know my wife because I spent time with my wife. I have a relationship with wife. I know Christ because I've spent time with him. I have a relationship with him that goes beyond church. He's my significance. He's my purpose. 
But some people just can't grasp that. They can't fathom that. They can't understand that. They can't comprehend it because they're so haunted by who others expect them to be, who their past defines them, instead of just focusing on the one that's going to take care of it all. Let me ask kind of a strange question. If you get where you're going, where will you be? Here's the application to this question. What path are you on right now in your life? Is the path leading you to growth? Is it leading you to a longing desire to know him? Or is the path that you're on heading in a direction away from Christ? Towards the world. So if you get where you're going, where will you be? Will you be closer to Christ or farther away from Christ? I'm driving in a car. I'm trying to go to a location. If I follow the, the GPS, hopefully I'll end up there. If you follow the GPS, the roadmap for your life, God's word, not what some man says, then wherever you're going, if you're in tune to him, if you're in tune to his word, you'll be farther along and you'll be closer to him. Our objective is simple. It's to know him. What goals are you working towards in your life right now? What are your ambitions? There's nothing wrong with having goals or ambitions, but how often are ambitions and goals only self-centered, only self-serving, only self-pleasing? And how often do we as Christians never consider Christ? And I hope this is an encouragement and help this, this series, but it's been more of a help to me than you can understand. Because these are things that I've struggled with over the years. These are things that I still struggle with. You see, there came a time in the Apostle Paul's life when he realized that his former goals were unworthy. And he traded them all in for one magnificent obsession. And that obsession was to know him. To know Jesus Christ. Would to God that our church would have the same objective, the same obsession to know him. And the power of his resurrection. Because when we get to know him, when we dig deep and start reaching out, we experience something amazing. A flourishing, thriving Christian life that is far greater than anything the world could offer you.